session today. And uh, I'm welcome to this class, uh, which is the first of about 12 on the question of identity. And I hope it will be something that interests you and, uh, and uh, inspires you to want to invite friends as the uh, year goes on, because the issue of identity is an extraordinarily um, big uh, question. It never has stopped being big in the history of human life, but it's, uh, it's taken a particularly <coughs> um, vociferous and uh, voluble form in recent times, especially in our country. Let's begin by saying the prayer that is found at the top of the uh, page, the old prayer from uh, Archbishop Cranmer together, blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, welcome, and Carolyn, let's leave one of the doors open, and uh, as you have so beautifully done, having just come back from uh, a time with your family, and I'm just so glad to welcome Carolyn Lankford back, uh, and it's great to see you. Now, um, the uh, thing about what we're talking about, my first, let me start this right off the bat by asking you in sort of USA Today terms, um, what, uh, what, uh, what is your identity? I mean, how would you describe your identity in sort of USA Today, conventional, top end of the cable channel, talk show type, um, type uh, what would you say? Would you say, uh, well, you're a, a white divorced male, uh, professional, a white professional divorced male. Or um, you could say, uh, I'm a... Um, I'm a widow of Polish-American uh, 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 heritage um, and, uh, and um, living uh, well within my considerable means. Um, um, are, you, are you somebody who, somebody who drives, you know, uh, what's the new car? It's no longer the SUV. It's going out. What's the new one that they're all talking about? What? What's it called? And whatever it is, uh, I drive a such and such, and uh, I'm putting my mark uh, by doing this. Or I live, uh, as I always say to you in uh, South Carolina terms, I live on a house in the water, house in the water in Mount Pleasant. That is the that is the thing that everyone in Charleston believes will give them what what it is that the people in Charleston want to have. And uh, or uh, I'm. Um, well, just think about the different slots. They have to do with social class. Those are some of the ways people think, you know, I went to Dartmouth, you know, uh, or I didn't get to go to the college that I wanted to because of us and so. Um, I'm uh, social class, uh, gender. I'm a, I'm a woman and I'm, I'm angry about it. Uh, <laughs> or I'm a woman and I'm proud of it and I'm full of confidence. I'm full of confidence a devastating confidence. Uh, but but th think, of, think of all the different things that you, that you could be. Just, but but I'm, uh, there are many, social class, gender. I'm, uh, I'm gay and I'm determined uh, to make you affirm me in my whole identity or I will no longer like you or talk to you. I am, uh, I am really not very pretty and I feel it intensely, and I'm very, very self-conscious 
about my appearance. Um, these are all the different things. But what happens with identity? Um, the identities that we have in sort of advertising terms and uh, that people are talking a lot about gender, sexuality, uh, social class, possessions, university affiliation, um, you know, uh, uh, you'd be amazed. There are people who are huge fans of certain universities, especially their athletic t competitions, who never even went to the school. You'd be amazed how many people you find who are incredible um, USC, you know, University of South Carolina fans, who never got near Columbia but their whole lives are focused on USC Columbia. And uh, uh, they're, they're, uh, they even moved there when they're retired to be near a college they never actually went to. Uh, these tremendous identities. As you know, the trip I described last uh, week, uh, the trip to Northern Ireland that Mary and I had, uh, put us right into the uh, heart of the matter. Um, it is not old news to see a society uh, riven by conflicts that come out of the 17th century. We have things in our life that come out of the, you know, 1861 to 1865 that are still very important. And in parts of Belfast, uh, everybody has uh, Confederate flags over their houses or Israeli flags. Because as the loyalist Protestant increasingly beleaguered minority community, they feel that they are the lost cause. And so they identify with the American Confederacy. And they identify with Israel because they they feel under, uh, under great pressure from the IRA or the Catholic community, which is an, a totally different concept, uh, that identifies with the Palestinians. And so these symbols are enormously significant. But what happens, though, is when you uh, are in the middle of the night, as I said in my sermon, between two and four, that's when you know who you really are. Very few people wake up in the middle of the night saying, I wish I had been born into one of the New York 400. You know, there used to be this thing, supposedly, called the New York 400. 400 families that were the creme de la creme, supposedly. And uh, I wish I, very few people, actually, a couple times that happens in your life. But most of the time, you wake up in the middle of the night with a different kind of identity. Um, I am a failure. Uh, without, you know, deep down inside myself, I'm a failure in my uh, aspirations as a man, as a professional person. I um, am a failure at a father. I'm a, I'm a father whose children are, for reasons that are beyond my ken, um, have decided that they don't seem to really like me or want to be around me. That's the kind of thing that people... Um, I knew somebody in Michigan who used to get up in the middle of the night. She would tell me very plaintively her children, who were in their 40s, were estranged from her. She was a fine woman, just like anyone here would be, is. And she got up, and she would, in the middle of the night, she found herself getting up, and she would turn to her husband, also in the middle of the night, and said, what did we do wrong? What? What? If we only, what did we do wrong to be, quote, repaid, end of quote, in this way? Um, and that's really the identity that people, um, that's deeper than being an Italo-American. That's deeper than being buried at Southern Heritage Seminary, a cemetery. Uh, that's, 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 that's deeper than my, you know, association with a particular school. I mean, there was a big editorial in the op-ed of the, op page of the, of the New York Times this week about the school that I attended for eight years, as if to say that everybody that goes to that school is an elitist pig who just has, you know, wants to solve everything through their, their elitist friends. And there it was, the name of my school, and the big headline, as if that is a pigeonhole that you can put people. But I wake up in the middle of the night far more likely to say, oh, why does this always happen to me? Or why am I alone? You know, one, why am I alone? 
What, what did I do to, to be alone in life at this point? All the different things. So identity has two um, forms. Excuse me. It takes sort of the views that the world, the world has. The world has all these little slots that you get put into. And then uh, there is your own identity, which usually more has to do with loss or being, a, uh, being on the, uh, the short end of the stick in life, something like that. Um, uh, John, now if you would close the door in the back, John Carraway, that would be great. I know you've got a baby there, um, but carry her with you and just close <laughs> that door. Now, I want to talk about identity because um, not only is this uh, huge in the world, I mean, what is the... What are the Balkans? You know, what is South Africa? What is um, Birmingham? What is any place about but identity? And these issues, which in American sort of journalism uh, are defining issues. You know, I am. This is my identity. I am. I am. This is the way I am. And and until you recognize my identity in all its meaning to me, I cannot really have a relationship with you. And this is very commonly understood. Uh, anyone who has a handicap today, they will put right in your face. I'm not blaming them, but this is what they're taught to do. They will put right in your face the handicap. And until you can somehow be um, whatever it means to be totally unflummoxed or un totally accepting of the handicap, you are basically an enemy. And uh, uh, this is the question of life today. And I want to take this to this deeper level about uh, my identity as, it, as it's constructed in the middle of the night, the deeper resentments that have created the kind of person I am. That's what I really want to talk about in the next 12 weeks. Now, I'm going to do, can anybody name an Alfred Hitchcock movie where they told who the uh, murderer was in the middle of the movie as opposed to the end of the movie? Anybody remember one? Well, uh, it's called Frenzy. Uh, it's called Frenzy, and it's a horrifying movie. It's a movie that he never should have made. It has one of the most atheistic and nihilistic scenes uh, in the whole... Uh, I don't know how Hitchcock could live with himself and have filmed this one particular scene in the movie Frenzy. Whenever it's on television, I give it a miss, although I've seen it twice physically. I, it's a, it's a, but in the course of the movie, you find out that the the person who's strangling the women, you find out who it is. And it's revealed to you rapidly. And he always wondered if he'd made a mistake by telling, giving away. Because, you know, in other things, he'd always, like in uh, Dial M for Murder, you didn't know who did it until the last five minutes. Even in Psycho, you know, you didn't know what was happening in Psycho until the very last few minutes. But in this movie, he gave it away. Well, I'm going to take a risk today, and I'm going to give away the answer to this 12-week presentation uh, consciously with the idea that I'm going to give away what I believe the Bible teaches about identity, and then I hope you'll forget about it, and basically you'll say, well, Paul just gave the religious answer that we might have expected to come from someone like himself. But then, each week, I'm going to take what I believe is the Bible's answer out of the book of Romans, chapter 4, and I'm going to apply it. So next Sunday, we're going to talk about social class. I'm going to speak about social class as it relates to what the scripture says about human identity. Then after that, the next one will be gender. I'm going to talk about being male or female and how it relates to human identity in light of the Bible. And then sexuality. We'll get into that issue, which is very, very important today. And then I'll talk about um, uh, um, other uh, key uh, issues. What are some of the identity markers that that you think I should talk about in addition to the ones I mentioned.
Any you want to think about? What are some of the other markers of a person's identity? Not you, but somebody you know that you don't like. <laughs> race. R race. We can talk about one on race. Race and ethnic. The, the whole ethnic thing. What? Intelligence. Intelligence, <laughs> intelligence as a mark of real stupidity. No, intelligence. In, in the whole question of intelligence as a marker of identity. People who have high IQs are cursed. Similarly, you know, it works both ways, let me tell you. Uh, depending on, you get all sorts of identity. What are some of the others? Uh, intelligence is one. What's another? Talent. What? Talent. Talent. Talents. Oh my gosh, talent. Does he have talent at what he would like to do or does he not? Uh, being a parent or not? Being a, being a child, being a person with children, or being a person who doesn't have children? And that is identity. What about being single as opposed to being married? That's, a, that's an identity issue. What about uh, any others that you can think of? Politics. Politics. What do you mean by that, Jamie? Politics. Conservative liberal. Uh, a Democrat Republican. Uh, whatever you want to call it. Politics. No question. That's a biggie. What else? The, the, oh, by the way, the word is rock-ribbed Republican or yellow dog Democrat. Uh, and a rock-ribbed Republican, what does that mean? You know, as opposed to a yellow dog, what an interesting use of phrases. But what do they say about identity? Any others that you, that you can think of? Goodness versus evil. Goodness versus evil. Well, who said that? Well, that's a very interesting one. Let's think about that. That's a, that's a hugey, hugey. Um, thank you. Others? Flo, being an American. Nationalism, oh, that's huge. Being an American as opposed to being an Englishman or whatever it is, a citizen of Afghanistan. Pat? Age. Age. Being a young person as opposed to being an older person. What else? Accomplishments and failures. Gary, accomplishments versus failures. Key. Cancer survivor versus someone who may not be or is not entirely sure how that's going to play out. Uh, what else? Denomination, Episcopalian. You know, in the old days, uh, th th it started out, you know, Church of God. Then it went up for, then it went to Baptist. Then it was Methodist. Uh, and then the professional people were Presbyterians. And the people that really owned everything, at least in the, in the American South and, and sometimes in the Northeast, were Episcopalians. Now that's totally changed. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. Uh, but. <laughs> But it hasn't changed everywhere. You'd be amazed that you go to places like Sheffield, Massachusetts, or Palm Frick, Connecticut, and you'd be amazed, although a lot of people don't go to church in those places, how some of the old denominational ideas about people can be very, very strong. Anything else? Occupation. occupation. Well, that's a biggie. You define yourself by your occupation. Anything else? Children. Ch children's accomplishment. Well, that's very threatening, Tom. <laughs> Okay, well now I'm going uh, to, I have a tight plan here. Uh, the, we've talked about um, identity in sort of, sort of uh, USA Today sort of O'Reilly type terms, you know. Oh, he's a spokesman for, she's a, you know, whatever she is. Then I've talked about deeper areas of identity. Now I'm going to give away what the Bible's uh, teaching about identity is. And it's quite bracing. And I don't expect anyone here to agree, but I, I will uh, go out on a limb and say this is the overall teaching of the scripture. The first, uh, the first thing is that there is that human identity, human identity, there is no such thing. That's the first thing. That human identity is fluid. 
It has a lot to do with projection. Often people project onto you things about yourself based upon certain things that they think you are or not that have nothing to do with the way who you really are. The human identity in the Bible comes and goes. Uh, it is like grass that is uh, green one day and then is thrown into the oven and is burned and uh, forever and ever, amen, it goes and there is nothing new under the sun. And a human identity in the Bible, basically, whenever somebody is on top in the Bible, that is the inevitable sign for the judgment of God that they will be reduced. And usually the mighty have fallen from their seats and uh, he hath hope in his servant Israel, and he has brought up the, uh, the poor to great things. Uh, the constant theme in the Bible is, as I've often said to you before, what is bad is good and good is bad. And uh, what is apparently on top, uh, like Babylon, or like uh, uh, the Omri kings uh, in uh, Israel, they think they're on top, and the moment they think they have an identity that is manageable and clear and solid and secure, that is the exact moment in which their identity is completely and totally destroyed by somebody else or something else. I am riveted, riveted by, by a Rod Serling uh, night gallery episode from 1971. He wrote it. It's called Eyes, and in it, Joan Crawford plays a supposed very rich woman living in a rich apartment on Fifth Avenue, and she pays a poor lost soul off the street to uh, give him her eyes in surgery because she's been blind from birth. And she puts her eyes, which are unseeing through a doctor, not a nice doctor, and she takes his eyes and she's told she has 12 hours to live, to see, before her eyes will be rejected by her body. This is, a, this is the story, the premise of the story. And Joan Crawford, after all this horrifying manipulation, she has the eyes so she can see and she's thrilled and she's depicted as a not a very nice person, needless to say, and she she whips off the scarf, and it's the blackout of 1970 in New York. <laughs> and at 8 o'clock, as she whips off the scarf, New York is plunged into darkness. Now, that is, in fact, a very, very, Serling had a very deep Judeo-Christian, in that his case, it was a mixture, a Judeo-Christian idea of ethical retribution. But human identity is, uh, in all cases, uh, does not exist in any lasting or solid way. Secondly, if there were such a thing, if there were such a thing as human identity that would exist in a solid way, it would always end up in damnation. It would always end up in damnation by definition because when human identity uh, finally believes it has got a scope on it and a fix on what identity is, uh, it is by definition in 100% of cases it deserves and, and uh, uh, finds that it is damned because uh, partly in many ways by its own uh, assertion because the moment you assert that at that exact moment you are no longer gods in the Bible. The moment you assert at that exact moment, you are confronted by negation. That is the idea of the Bible and the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets are absolutely full of the idea. Israel, do not assert. The moment you assert, uh, you will be dragged down and Cyrus will come and destroy you because you've lost uh, what is true identity. Which leads to point number three. Number three is um, identity exists. Human identity exists. But in 100% of cases, it is the gift of God. Now, again, you don't have to agree. These are very strong statements I've made. The first one was that human identity doesn't exist. And I discovered this long ago in the class system. 
in the class system in New York City when the people that I always thought were the richest, most oldest families looked like the Vanderbilts, sounded like the Vanderbilts, had as much money as the Vanderbilts, and they all came from small towns in Louisiana. I discovered, I discovered in my own experience that human, just as my own family, just as my own family, that human identity was a huge joke that was perpetrated by projection on people who really were very insecure and who didn't even have it. And even in England, which is one place where there's a little bit of it left, uh, I discovered that even some of the noblest families in England uh, inevitably have a skeleton in the closet, and it's a genetic skeleton. It's a genetic skeleton. Orson Welles's mother uh, married a very, very, very rich man. And uh, that family is still famous, but his mother was the dairymaid. Uh, and uh, no one knows all that. Human identity is, in the Bible, nothing. And even if it is something, whenever it gets to be something, it is pounded down by the judgment of God enacted in life. Now, you don't have to agree with me, but there we are. And finally, um, identity in the Bible is the gift of God. Now, just so I'm going to talk five more minutes rather than get feedback, I want to earth this in the scripture, and then I'm done. By the way, I don't know if anyone here has ever done the Myers-Briggs. But this, uh, this class is another way of saying um, I, the same thing that we're trying to do with the Myers-Briggs about human identity is, 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 this is sort of that updated with a slightly different, slightly different spin. Mary, what am I again? You're not supposed to say anyway. Uh, I'm something. Uh, and I missed the Myers-Briggs as I was in Europe, but then I came back and it was too late to miss it. And uh, I think it's an INTJ or an SJP. What? Thank you for sharing. Whatever it is. <laughs> but now let me just tell you about that. That is another identity. I mean, if I, th th that's a test, a personality test that has a lot of accuracy. It's a very good thing in many ways. It's a very intriguing thing, and it has a lot of truth to it. But nonetheless, even that, you know, if you can reduce a human being to four letters, that's a very powerful negative and positive. Negative and positive. Well, um, now, let's look at this uh, chapter in Romans. And I'm going to read um, uh, with you a few verses, and then I'm done. Just so you know that this is not just my opinions. Because I do believe uh, that this talk is on, is on uh, Pauline solid ground. Turn over the page, if you would. Paul is trying to understand what accounts for the reversal of identity that he himself has discovered when he was thrown from his horse in the course of a religious experience on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, everything that he thought was right is no longer right. It's like dietary rules, you know, in, uh, in uh, fat, you know. Everything that he thought was healthy, he's now discovered is not healthy, and he's puzzled. And therefore, he goes back to the Old Testament to find a comfortable text, which he already recognizes, that will somehow help him orient himself. Just like you. I don't know if you like Charles Dickens or if you like old movies. Whenever I want to orient myself in a new situation, I go back to 1950s science fiction films because they may give me truth. That was a joke. Uh, the problem is he 